Hello and welcome to AMM Conversation, the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. In this episode, we will continue exploring the landscape and challenges of data privacy in the 21st century. My guest today is David Rehm, Chief Privacy Officer at DMD, one of the nation's leading database solutions partners for medical marketing agencies, hospitals, publishers, and healthcare recruiters. David has more than 25 years of leadership experience in technology-enabled product and service companies with a focus on healthcare and consumer business models. Welcome to the show, David. Let's start the conversation. Could you set the table for us by explaining the differences in first-party data versus second-party data versus third-party data? This was always important to understand, but now with new laws being passed, they specifically address the difference between first-party data and third-party data, so it becomes even more important to understand. The concept is very straightforward. First-party data is those companies that collect information directly from, I'm going to use the word consumer, but I mean healthcare professionals, everybody's a consumer. They collect the information directly from a consumer, so in the healthcare space, a lot of times that would be a doctor filling out a subscription card to receive a a magazine or filling out something online to receive a digital publication. That is a first party relationship. The second party relationship is obviously one removed from that. So if that first party publisher turns and shares that information with another party, that is the second party. That term second party isn't used very often. You mostly just hear first and third because a third is the third jump or any greater jump right so a third party does not have a direct connection to the company that collected the information so that data could have been sold and resold 10 times 20 times 30 times as a buyer you don't really know how far away it is from the original source so that's why I, I think best practice is to try to limit your data acquisition as much as possible to either directly from the end user or from a first party source who has that connection. Where do you describe where we are here in 2020? I think we're in a very interesting time, and I referred to it earlier as sort of no man's land, you know, between where we were just even a year ago with sort of industry best practices and company best practices, but no legislation. And where we're at right now is some legislation, but it typically is on a state level, so it only applies to some people in the United States. And I think where we'll be at eventually is a federal legislation which will apply to everyone in the United States. And then you can, you know, companies can kind of get behind the federal level. So right now we're in this weird mix where you you have to pay attention to what's going on, but it's highly fragmented. It's at the state level. Many states don't have any requirements. So it's quite a difficult time right now for companies that want to do the right thing and to be legally compliant. You know, data privacy is all over the news, with large tech companies like Facebook and Google in the crosshairs of regulators and our legislators. Medical media and communications companies probably shouldn't be lumped into the same category as those businesses, correct? 
As just a generally regulated industry, of course, all communications to consumers and physicians are regulated, as well as data sharing through HIPAA are regulated. There's just a general higher level of awareness of being compliant with good practices. It's not sort of the Wild West of consumer selling tires or something like that. So our experience is that there's a high level of integrity in the industry and a general very strong desire to do the right thing, even if it's not the cheapest thing to do. What are some of the biggest questions coming from the customers right now? I have a 27-slide deck on what I call information practices, you know, our information practices. I no longer use 26 of those slides because it all comes down to one slide, which is what is your pathway for collecting consent? you know, and what you do in that pathway to make sure that people are fairly knowledgeable. So for instance, at DMD, we collect consent directly from, we primarily focus on the physician market. After we collect the consent, we do a very unique thing, which was actually asked by one of our first pharma clients 10 years ago. They asked us, hey, you know, we're so conservative about this. We would like you to proactively go back out to those physicians, notify them of what they opted into, and make sure they have a second chance to opt out. So it'd be sort of like, you know, you going to buy something at Zappos and giving them your email address and them then sending you an email and saying, hey, are you really sure you wanted to opt into our emails? You know, no, nobody does that. Nobody does that in the consumer world. But we do it in the healthcare world because, again, you know, these companies are very conscientious about this. So what we do is we collect the first party opt in. And then what we do is we send before we ever use that data, we put that data in a separate area. And then we send out an email, which is in very human English. You know, it's not privacy policy stuff. And it says, hey, we collected an opt in from you at this place under this privacy policy. But by the way, just as a reminder, we're going to use these seven pieces of information and they're just in bullet points and we're going to use them in these eight different ways and those are in bullet points and so one of the things is you know we're going to share it with partners to ensure that you get more targeted advertising and so for instance we work with many medical publishers if they know that a person coming into their website as a cardiologist why show that doctor a dermatology ad you know we're not going to eliminate advertising but we can make it more relevant to that individual and i do think that that's important because when i am surfing around and i'm showed an advertisement for you know women's clothing it just feels not relevant you know and can't we do better than that and so what we do in the medical space is to try to work with our partners to make the content that they're going to get anyway as relevant as possible. So we describe that and then we say in this email, hey, if you don't want to be in this, here's the link to opt out. You know, and we get two to three percent opt out, you know, on every email we send, which means that enough people are reading it. And so that's an example of going, of course, above and beyond certainly any legislature, but even best practices that you would see in the community. And that's really, you know, mandated by the conservativeness of healthcare and has served us very well when we meet with these companies 
and we go through the process of obtaining the opt-in, they feel like, you know, we've gone a little bit extra and we can credibly say that, um, or they can say that this data was obtained as transparently as possible with as much control as possible. So I think those are two key words about collecting data from an end user, be transparent and give them the control over what they do. So big data, ad tech, technologies that are all fighting for the same users. Tell me a little bit about going back to the time where we verified each individual user. I heard that a lot today. Yeah, that is a big change, a huge change. And it really comes about, you know, both via the internet as a communication medium, but also software companies in the background. And I think Dr. Fu talked today about the number of middlemen, not saying like back in the old days, but back in the old days, uh, when we sent out a print magazine, you know, we received, uh, you remember those, uh, we called them business reply cards or tipping cards, you know, they would fill them out and they'd, they'd mail them in. So you'd get something directly from the user and you'd say, ah, you know, Dr. Smith, she wants um, you know, our magazine, let's, let's mail it to her. And then we would mail it to him. So you had a very direct relationship. And what's come about with digital advertising is a whole huge ecosystem of which the big boys like Google and Facebook are very big players in it, but lots of little players where you don't have that direct relationship in a lot of ways. And many publishers, as well as the end consumers, don't realize how many transitions there are with their personal data. And I think that's one of the things that's been highlighted in the last couple of years by people talking about this is there's a whole kind of you know, shadow ecosystem going on that's sending your data all around, you know, and, and you may not be aware of that. And so I think what legislators are trying to do, you know, with the best of intention is to make sure you're aware of it, again, transparency, so that you can exert control over it. And while it's a good intention, there are, are real challenges to making that work the way everybody hopes it would. We'll be right back after a message from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Tad Mundik, Executive Director of the Association of Medical Media. Just taking a pause here to thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast series on digital privacy. Whether it's the first episode or the last, we really hope that you're finding some nuggets and tidbits that you can put in use just as soon as the episode's over. Please don't hesitate to check out ammonline.org, our website, not only for updates on programming that we might be having, along with a host of resources that members can take advantage of, including recaps of previous educational sessions, and our Medical Media Matters fact sheet, which will clue you into some research that might be helpful as you're talking to folks that you work with. As always, if we can be of any of assistance, we would be honored to do that. You can reach us at help at ammonline.org. That's also a great email address to use, help at amm.online.org. If you're not getting our weekly newsletter, we'd like to as well. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I hope you're enjoying this podcast series, and let's get you back to this episode. Take care. We're back with David Reen, Chief Privacy Officer at DMD. Dave, what are some of the most common data privacy challenges in medical media today? Again, there's best practices and there's laws. 
And best practices is you obtain an opt-in. And I think that most of the people in the medical publishing space are good about that. They obtain opt-ins, you know. That's not true in the general consumer world. You know, ads appear and you're like, why did they show up? So I think obtaining an opt-in is very important. But there are no laws right now, California and Nevada, that require an opt-in. However, if you compare that to GDPR in Europe, GDPR requires an opt-in. And even more importantly than that, you cannot obtain what they call a master opt-in. You can't say, hey, would you like to get all my programs? You have to obtain what they call a program level opt-in. So you have to say, if I have three different newsletters, I have to get your opt-in to each of the three newsletters, you know, so it's much more uh, targeted. I think a very interesting thing that's going to come here in the U.S. is what is that level going to be legally? Is it going to be something like GDPR, which requires program-level opt-in, which will require all of the people in the medical space to be much more diligent about collecting consent? Or is it going to be something like, you know, California, which doesn't mandate an opt-in, but mandates uh, the ability to opt out. You know, those are very different perspectives, and it's yet to be seen how that's going to roll out. Your other thing was about data storage, and that does come up. And so, for instance, there's some very, you know, healthcare is a global business, and um, there are some great healthcare publishers all around the globe. I'll just pick one, British Journal of Medicine. So British Journal of Medicine, or BMJ, operates under the EU's GDPR, but it turns out for their U.S. subsidiary, they hold the U.S. data in the United States, separately from holding the European data in the EU. So there's a lot of discussion about what does the location of the data have to do with it? What does the, you know, the citizenship of the reader have to do with it? So some of those questions are still evolving. Why don't we go into your thoughts on Privacy Forward? Mm-hmm. You've hit on a couple of them already with regard to transparency and giving control back to the customer. You just want to elaborate a little bit on those points and what the genesis of that was and how you're sort of, that's sort of the mantra? Yeah. I think that you can view data privacy in two manners. You could view it defensively or offensively. Defensively means I need to be compliant with laws so that I don't get sued. You know, that's defensively. And you do want to be compliant with laws so you don't get sued. That That's very relevant. But to use it offensively is to say, hey, this is what my users want anyway. And so I'm going to be very upfront and forward with what I'm going to do with their data and to allow them to control it as much as possible. So again, the transparency and control. And one of the things I always point to is look at somebody's privacy policy. So right now, you know, everything is sort of governed by the privacy policy. Open up the privacy policy and see if it's written in human English. Like if it's written in human English, that's somebody who's trying to be privacy forward. They're trying to say, hey, look, you know, we want to tell you directly what we're doing. I opened a privacy policy the other day that had where withins and the alls. And, you know, it was like it was like reading something from the 1800s, you know, and it was clearly written by a lawyer who was clearly deep into lawyer speak and, you know, all that stuff. To me, that's not privacy forward. 
being privacy forward is recognizing that mostly this is what consumers want. You know, they want to be aware of what's going on with their data and not trying to pull the wool over their eyes, but trying to meet them halfway and tell them what you're going to do. Tell them honestly and give them the ability to agree to that or disagree to that. And that was kind of the message that Stephanie Hannaway earlier today was trying to get across. I think that it boils down to simplistic. If you can't look your customer in the eye and say, this is what I'm going to do with your data and have a good conversation with that person, then you're not doing it right. Most legal documents that go out to an end user and and people always bemoan the fact that, oh, nobody's going to open a privacy policy and really read it. If you think about it, privacy policies are kind of 20 years old, 25 years old. But if, if you look at software end user license agreements or ELUs, when you buy a piece of software, they come with an end user license agreement. That goes back to the beginning of selling software, which is probably 1970s, you know, and those things aren't any better than they were in the 1970s. You know, you open them, they're still mostly hard to read, hard to penetrate. So we shouldn't jump too much on privacy policies when, you know, there's these other documents that are just as important that have been around much longer that aren't any better. But still, I think the right thing to do, and and I view all of these documents, I think the right thing to do is think of them like an iceberg, where there's no doubt that you have to have the legal mumbo jumbo in it, because that's what lawyers use to defend you in court, right? But that's like the stuff under the water in my opinion. There should be a part above the water that is written for seventh grade literacy levels, you know, that clearly says what you're going to do and what their rights are, you know, as a consumer. You can do that in a couple of paragraphs, three paragraphs, and then you can go into all the lawyer crap, which you have to have, but that's the iceberg. And I think that, you know, more companies can show some compassion towards their users by including just this little bit of tip that steps above the water that says, you know, hey, you know, consumer, this this is what we're doing. In your recent presentation, you said that you guys had studied a couple of dozen pharmaceutical or medical marketing companies and kind of came up with a best of list. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Sure. Just for a a webinar that we did recently, which is available on our website at dmdconnects.com, we looked at the top 20 pharma websites in the U.S. and the corporate websites and looked at their privacy policies to see if they were CCPA compliant. We also, when we did the webinar, it was about 200 people on the line, and we put up a poll and we said, out of this top 20, how many do you think were actually CCPA compliant? And our, the choice was 0, 5, 10, 15, or 20. The most popular choice was 10. So I, I was a little bit surprised. I think a lot of our colleagues <laughs> didn't, didn't have a lot of faith in, in these companies, but our results were 15. So 15 of the top 20 we thought were CCPA compliant, and the five that were not had a great similarity to each other, and that is they came from a company that has a headquarters outside of the U.S., and I think four of the five were headquartered in Europe, and therefore their privacy policies were very European-centric, very much aligned with GDPR, 
at best, uh, I, I think they said, hey, there are other rules for other regions, and if you think the other regions apply, then click here and send us an email. You know, that, that's pretty weak. But I, I think there were definitely, you know, examples that were very strong that are very aligned with what the landscape is today. Also, one of the four pillars in your privacy forward was don't be afraid of new legislation. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of times the online privacy, data privacy, just goes straight to the regulation end and the enforcement and what's going to happen to Google and Facebook. Can you just explain why you guys put don't be afraid? And I think you said that should be the floor, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that, and again, it goes back to one of your earlier questions. You know, our point of view is that the vast majority of players in the healthcare market are doing the right thing and have every intention of doing the right thing. And I think any legislation is not really aimed at these folks. It's aimed at the folks that are not doing the right thing. So again, if you were on a list and you called up the owner of that list and said, take me off the list, you would expect that they would do that. And I, whether it's a, a pharma company or a hospital or a medical publisher, I guarantee you, if you called them up and said, take me off the list, they would take you off the list. What CCPA says is there are people that were not doing that, that you could say, take me off the list, and they would say, no, thank you. You know, and that was kind of the bottom scummers of the marketplace, you know. And so what California did and what most of this legislation does is just defines a a minimum accountability if you're going to collect personal information. But, you know, my personal experience, our corporate experience is 99 percent of the players in the healthcare market are already at this level. And so it's not something to really worry about. I don't think it's going to rock our industry, I think is my point. Uh, I think you got to make sure you're crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And uh, as I mentioned before, many of, of the players in this market are big global companies with deep pockets. And if you were a scummy lawyer and you were going to sue somebody, you, you might go after one of these companies and makes nice headlines and that kind of stuff. So you want to make sure you don't get caught up in that. But I don't think we're talking about radically changing the industry as we know it. We did talk a little bit earlier, too, about the potential for litigation. Yeah, I think there are much, much worse actors in the marketplace than most of the healthcare players. But the healthcare players are still deep pockets to a certain group of the citizenry. You know, they're not the most popular. You know, hey, you know, darn pharmas, you know, drug prices and all this stuff. We're going to go after them. You know, there's some, I think, susceptibility in that regard. And so that's why you have to be observant. What we have seen in Europe is little guys have not gotten sued. It's the Facebooks. It's the Googles. It's those people that, you know, people have in some of them have much better practices than little bad players. But they're the big, they're the deep pockets the big names and the, and that's why they've gotten the suits thrown at them. You had mentioned that for healthcare marketers using the IAB compliance framework would be a good starting place and or make sure I'm checking off all those boxes. Is that a good place for anybody who has concerns? To be clear about that, the probably the area in, in uh, in marketing, digital marketing, that California is the most gray about is in the ad tech space. 
and how do you manage consent and pass consent among all these players that may be operating, you know, super fast in serving programmatic and ad networks and retargeting and all that stuff. So in that grayness, which we hope will eventually be answered by the legislature making changes to the law, or they will be answered by court cases. And you don't want to be the one that gets a court case, you know, to work out some of these things. So what in this grayness, the IAB, the Internet Advertising Bureau, has stepped forward and said, here is a paradigm for how to do digital advertising that we think is consent compliant. So it's not something that publishers are going to have to get involved with or even advertisers get involved with. But what might what I think is important is to understand this gray area, understand what's being done in it, and to talk to your media companies and the people that might be buying advertising from you or selling advertising on your behalf and ask them what they're doing to address this gray area. One thing they might say is, well, we're being compliant with IAB framework. You have to decide if that's sufficient for you, you know, or they, they might say, I don't understand what you're talking about. And then you might have to say, well, you should you know, and I'm disappointed that that's your answer, you know, and, and so, so it's not like most companies will have to deal with IAB. IAB is for the ad tech people, but it is incumbent upon the advertisers and the media sellers to ask these companies, what are you doing to address this gray area? And IAB is one of the answers to that question. What's the importance of auditing moving forward? Personally, I'm, I'm very, very passionate, a little bit, you know, strong about this, but I think it's something that can eliminate a lot of risk for people that buy data. Most companies have an in-house list that they've collected from people that come to their website or whatever, but those lists are only really a portion of their target audience. And so they go to outside suppliers to augment their own list so that they can reach their entire audience. So that's what marketing is, right? And so in the old days, in the print days, when you went to buy an advertisement in a magazine and they said they had a million subscribers, how, how did you know if they had a million subscribers? So you relied on a third-party independent auditor to say, hey, I've come in, I've, I pulled a random sample of these, I contacted the people, I said, did you really sign, do you really receive this magazine? And most of them said, yes, they really received this magazine, right? But as we've gone into the digital age, we've let that discipline lapse, you know. So now we say when we buy data, we say, is this opted in email addresses? And the seller always says, oh, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of buyers say, okay. And, and then they just kind of move on, you know. But there's no third partiness to it, you know. And I'm a really strong advocate that we need to bring that independent auditing back into data in the digital age. And all buyers of data should require that their sellers have independent third-party audits to both the veracity of the of the data as well as the fact that it was obtained with an opt-in and and how it is i mean we we are painfully aware of many data vendors just selling data to each other you know to make their list bigger and bigger and boy you know that that's not the kind of data you want to buy and you really need a third party to get in involved and tell you that but it does sound like there's, you know, some good news out there, too. Any just final thoughts of where we are, landscape going forward, 
anything along those lines. Well, first of all, Jason, I would like to compliment you on your choice of data privacy for your inaugural podcast. That's a very sexy choice coming right out of the gate. But no, I, I think it is an important area. It was a nice to have a couple years ago. It's not a nice to have anymore. It's a must have. You know, somebody in every organization or more than one person has got to be paying attention to this. They need to have the muscle inside of an organization to make things happen, to align with this, or else you're going to be on the front page of the New York Times, you know. And again, I, I think healthcare is particularly susceptible to this because some people perceive them as not the best guys in the bunch anyway. And so wouldn't it be great to, you know, pull them into court? Again, this profession is so ethical anyway, despite what outsiders may think. We know it's very ethical and very above the board. You just got to go that little extra bit to assure that you're absolutely compliant with especially emerging laws or, or above that, better than that. You know, um, try to be better. I I think that's something that I, I've said before is try to be better and and then I think you'll be fine. Thank you very much for your time and your expertise. Thank you. And at our website, we have a whole resource center on data privacy. That again is dmdconnects.com. We have, uh, I think we've done three webinars on this in the healthcare space. We have a data privacy blog that anybody can subscribe to. This is kind of a rapidly moving um, space. In fact, uh, something I said, we, we had a webinar just three weeks ago and something I really made a big deal out of on that webinar has already been reversed in California. And uh, I need to send an email out to everybody and say, hey, remember what I said? Never mind. Never mind now. Um, so you do want to you do want to stay up to date some way. So so sign up to something where you get information on a regular basis. That is all for this episode of the AMM Conversation. Thanks for listening. Make sure you listen to more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. For more information on data privacy, including the AMM Principles of Online Privacy, visit ammonline.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host or AMM or any other group or individual.